how important is the person of the Holy Spirit? How important is he? And really, this is the whole problem for us as the people of God. Will we get out the way? <laughs> and will we let the Holy Spirit move in our meetings? You know, Keller, quite a well-known preacher in America, says the problem for the church is they're too self-centered and not enough Christ-centered. No, it's not all about you, it's all about him. And we will never know Jesus without the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the most important person. And somehow we have got to get this into our minds and hearts that Israel had three main feasts. He had seven, but three main feasts. One was the Feast of Passover. Pentecost was the second one. First fruits. Well, Christ was our first fruits. He had to be ascend. He had to be resurrected to enter into the glory to send the person of the Holy Spirit. We, and in, in the discourse in John 14, 15, and 16, uh, Jesus is introducing, really, to God's people the person of the Holy Spirit. In the old dispensation, it was all the anointing, wasn't it? But it, it was never really understood fully, and these disciples had been with Jesus now three, three and a half years. And as you read this discourse in John 14, 15, and 16, you begin to realize that um, they didn't really know what was going on. They didn't really fully understand. And I don't think the church understands an awful lot without the Holy Ghost. No. You can have a lot of intellectualism, a lot of scriptural knowledge, a lot of degrees in theology, and all this stuff, but does it really help you? You know, when we look at some of the greatest preachers we've had, take Spurgeon, he never went to a Bible college. Martin Lowe-Jones, he never went to a Bible college. Joyce Meyer in America, did she go to a Bible college? No. <laughs> I'm not against Bible colleges, but I tell you what, we need the Holy Ghost. And you see, in the Old Testament, we have God's people being drawn, uh, people being drawn out of the nations. Through Abraham's seed, one man became a family, he became a family, and he became a nation. And when David had been crowned king over all of Israel, and in 2 Samuel 9, he gives this wonderful dialogue between David and the Lord and God himself. And David talks about how God has blessed him, how God has anointed him, how God has made him be, and it, and it de designates all the nations. He just overcame everybody. He reigned over all his enemies. Why? Because he understood the power of God, the Lord of hosts that was with him. Well, the Lord of hosts is the person with us, is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. And somehow, we've got to stop trying to organize the Holy Ghost in meetings 
and just start to wait on God and let him move and the rain will come. The rain of the Spirit will fall upon the meeting and it will deliver people. We thank God for every ministry, but we know, those of us that were in the early days of the glory way, that in a sense, this glory ministry is like a feast of tabernacles. It's a step further than Pentecost. It's, a, it's, the, it's the feast that comes after Pentecost is tabernacles. And if, if you understand what tabernacles is, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> um, it meant that every household had to go outside their dwelling and build a booth. And this booth was where they met for seven days and they ate and they drank and they rejoiced. They really had a knees up. God is into feasting and rejoicing in a big way, but religion isn't. Is it? It's dry. And you know, there's a big difference. You know, people wonder... Uh, I remember the denomination Henry's I was in, and when he came, oh, I like it, you know, and they used to really irritate me, you know. I used to think, these Philistines, you know. I used to think, and the Lord had to get me delivered from a wrong attitude towards them. But, you know, uh, I was reading this, an old preacher, and I know I've quoted this before, and this is what he says. The ultimate effect produced by the gospel must be a spirit of rejoicing and joy. That's the true gospel. There's got to be joy and rejoicing. It's supposed to be in the house of God. To whom did this effect come? He says, it's to those who have fasted, and blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We are mourning for the state of the church. We say, Lord, do something with us. But the tabernacle means that you have to get restored. Each one of you has to be restored to become a tabernacle. That you have to realize it is, it, that Christ in his, the Corinthian epistle teaches us in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you are that temple. When Jesus said, I'll destroy this temple and rebuild in three days, he's rebuilding you and me to be a house of God, a tabernacle of the Holy Ghost, where there's supposed to be, you're supposed to be that place of worship and praise and adoration and joy. You're supposed to wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. I'm coming to have my breakfast with Jesus. Yeah. And you know, Jesus, he knows how to do things. Oh, yeah. He knows how to do everything, in fact. <laughs> we used to sing a song years ago, He is my everything. He is my all. Do you remember that song? <laughs> He's my, what is it? Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? And he is. He's everything we need. We just need, but we can't get to know this person without the Holy Ghost. We can't. And I, as I've been studying these, um, you know, in John 14 and John 15 and then in John 16, um, if we take John 16, um, 
7, for instance, he says, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. In other words, he had to go away. Now, you've got to understand these disciples, you know, they, they didn't really know what's going on. They didn't fully understand that Jesus was going to die. They weren't really grasping the situation. Because it says in John 14 and 5, And Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not whither you go, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you'd known me, you should have known my Father. And Philip said to him, well, show us the Father. In other words, they didn't really know what was going on at all, did they? <laughs> and, and, and they said, I've been with you so long time, Philip, and he that has seen me has seen the Father. Show us the Father. Believest thou not? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. In the words I speak to you, I speak not of himself, but the Father dwelleth in me. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily I say to you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, he will do it, that the Father may be glorified, the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then he said, if you love me, keep my words, my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you, it says in the authorized, another comforter. I think if you've got an NIV, anybody got an NIV, it will say, I'll give you another advocate. In my NLT, it says, another advocate. You know, we think of a comfort as some, a dummy you stick in somebody's mouth, isn't it? Well, it's much more than that. <laughs> this is not some dummy <laughs> you stick in your mouth. This, uh, you know, this is an old... Elizabethan word, isn't it? Which obviously has got a slightly different meaning now. But this whole question of advocate, because if you go back into John 16, we read this is what the Holy Spirit does. It says in John 16, when he's come, he will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because they'd believed not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. He said, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. In other words, what he was saying to them, I can't tell you everything now, because without the Holy Ghost, you just won't get it, you know. You, you know. And, and this is the point. We have got to keep filled with the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. We need to keep filled continually because our whole life depends upon this person of the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, we begin to see Jesus and he then reveals to us the power that Jesus has made available to us in life so that we do what we said yesterday, we become a priest and a king. You know, I'm not supposed to be under the circumstances of my life. I'm not supposed to be, as I said before, scratching around, looking down here and moaning and groaning and all. I'm supposed to be looking up. 
I'm supposed to be an eagle that soars up on the wings of prayer and praise and gets into the heavenlies and takes my place, as we said, and sits with him. Isn't it? With Christ. I'm supposed to be that person. Now I know I don't always make it, but I'm having a go at it. I haven't given up on it. <laughs> I know that I'm supposed to live like this 24-7. I'm not quite sure I've made it, but I'm getting there. <laughs> I hope you're getting there, because if we can get there, and, and you can get every tabernacle, if everyone in this place started functioning as a tabernacle, when we come together, we will have a blast. The heavens will open. Why? Because a person, you know, what did the tabernacle represent it where the tabernacle was, was the glory, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Where the tabernacle was the glory. I mean, they had to move this thing. There was a whole army of people with uh, furniture and carts and everything to move, and oxen, wasn't it, to move. And so when God said move, you know, the Spirit of God, the glory moved, the tabernacle had to move, didn't it? And that's what we're supposed to have up your butt. He's the glory and the keeper of my head. He's the lifter of my head, isn't he? We're supposed to have the glory. You're supposed to have Passover. You're supposed to have Pentecost. And you're supposed to have tabernacles. See, the church thinks, oh, tabernacles is a heaven. In the no, you're supposed to have some glory on the way to glory, aren't you? You're supposed to have the power and the presence of God in your life. You're supposed to have not just the, the well, but the river. The well is salvation. The river is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's out, Jesus spoke of it, speaking this in John 7. He said, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And I tell you what, I've got to learn to start worshipping God. I'm, I'm called as a priest. So I wake up, you wake up every morning and say, thank you, Lord, that you've chosen me, you called me, I'm beloved, I'm accepted, I'm adopted, I'm your son, I'm your heir, I'm I'm open to you, you've opened heaven to me, you've taken the veil down, I can enter in because I'm clothed with your righteousness and your garments and I'm coming in to you to each day and you're going to minister. Jesus is your minister. He's your mediator to minister to you. And as you lift up your hands and you begin to worship, you're going to feel something. Something's going to start burning. Something incense, that incense. And that worship is going to go up and you're going to start realizing that you're joined. You're part of a heavenly company of people. And that's really what we've got to be. And you see, but the, the problem is, if you don't grasp who you are, you're never going to deal with the things that come across you in your life because you need the Holy Ghost (laughs) to deal with sin, righteousness, and judgment because unfortunately you've got an enemy that doesn't want you to do that. You know, Israel, why did they fail to keep the land? Why did they fail? to possess everything that God had given them and occupy. You know, there's a parable in... um, The parable is called the parable of the pounds. And in the authorized, when you 
Oh, when, it's, when Jesus is talk, starting to talk about this parable of the pounds, he's saying, occupy till I come. If you want to maintain a position in life, you've got to occupy it. If you want to live in your house, you've got to occupy it. I'm new. You see, there's responsibility with God, God gives you, God is saying to you, I've given you all this, what are you doing with your pounds? What are you doing with it? And you see, this is the whole point. We've got some people, they like, they, li- they like the gifts, they like everything, that they like the blessing, but really, the blessing is given you for a purpose to be productive and grow to be a blessing to others. It's not you, but it's Christ in you, ministering through you, isn't it? And this is the problem. Now, these disciples, being with Jesus now, and he's talking about a person called the Holy Spirit. They didn't really know what he was talking about. <laughs> they didn't really get this at all. But this is what he says. How be it when he, in John sixteen thirteen, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he will receive of mine and show it to you. And all things that the Father hath of mine, that therefore said that he shall take of mine and show it to you. He says, and this is the point, isn't it? Now, I'm coming to see that one of the things that we have to grasp is this, is that the Holy Spirit, you know, these disciples, we know that after Jesus died upon the cross and he, was, um, he rose from the dead and he appeared for those 40 days didn't he, before he ascended, uh, Peter had come to the conclusion, well, I don't really know what's happening. <laughs> I don't know where I am. Uh, Jesus was here. He's not here, but now we know he's risen, but I think I'll go back fishing, you know. And there's something about us, you know, but, and he, because he hadn't received the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and the other said, well, we go fishing with you. And, of course, then we have that famous thing about, you know, Jesus on the beach and the breakfast. (laughs) And the thing is, you see, what Jesus is, what the Holy Ghost is trying to say to you, I want to teach you everything that Jesus has accomplished. Because without the Holy Ghost, you're never going to understand it or know it or experience it. And, the, and see, the person of the Holy Spirit is going to make Jesus real to you. You know, as we read in, in, in Revelation yesterday, where Jesus is talking to these seven churches, and he says he stands in the candlesticks. Well, in the church, if, you don't rep- if the church doesn't repent of these things, Jesus says, I'm going to remove myself and the candlesticks. So all you're left with is a glorified Christian social club, isn't it? There's no presence, there's no power. And this is our problem, isn't it? Because we have settled, we haven't let the Holy Ghost teach us, lead us, and guide us. As many as are led by the Spirit, 
Paul says, they are the sons of God. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We need this power in our lives. And, um, and, uh, and Peter didn't really know what was going on. We know what Peter was like, but we know what Peter was like on the day of Pentecost. Poor. What a different man he was. And he preached and all these thousands of people were saved. And, it, and somebody said to me the other day when Peter walked up the, up the road, his shadow healed people. You know, what a transformation. <laughs> well, you know in a meeting when the glory comes and the rain starts falling and the power, you feel very different. Poof. You feel like you've been charged. I felt like there was electricity going through me last night. I felt like, ooh, everything was like, ooh. Is, I always remember when I first felt the power of God, and I think, um, I think Cynthia was there, and David Greeno and Glyn Greeno and a few other people in my mother's sitting room, and we'd had this meeting, and I went flat out under the power. I don't remember any of the meeting at all. When I came round, they were bringing in tea and biscuits. (laughs) (laughs) And there was a lady there. I can't remember her name now, but this lady was in the meeting as well. And I woke up like this, and I got up, and I, and, uh, I, I said, Oh, isn't it lovely to see you, sister? And she was holding the tea and biscuits, and bang, she went down, and the tea and biscuits. Yeah. But you see, this power is given to us. Not I know this happens, and it's, it's all right. <laughs> but it's given to witness, isn't it? It's given to minister. It's given for signs. And we're supposed to have it. We are supposed to have it. We, we're supposed to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our meetings. And we mustn't be satisfied. Do you know Isaiah prophesied about this in Isaiah 55? And um, I was reading this this morning. And he says, Oh, oh, everyone that thirsteth, come you to what? The waters. Come, and he that hath no money, in other words, you don't need money for this, but you need to come, buy, and eat. It's yourself. You see, it's giving yourself to God, isn't it? This is the cost, isn't it? Denying yourself. You know, I, it's lovely to see you, and you're all beautiful people. <laughs> but the best, I, where I'm going to get my strength and my power from is fellowshipping with Jesus, isn't it? Oh, yeah. The Holy Ghost is there to help you fellowship with Jesus. And Jesus says in this, in this John's Gospel, when you start fellowshipping with Jesus and you become a tabernacle of the Holy Ghost, the Father will come, he said, also. So you've got Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in your thing. Now, you know, we didn't deal with very much about these churches last night, but if you read in Revelation, uh, the, the last church that Jesus speaks about, this in Revelation 3, in Revelation 3, he talks about this Laodicean church, and you've probably read this many times. In Revelation 3.14, the Laodicean church, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot, because thou art lukewarm, you said, 
And, and this is what he says, because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. See, once you start to settle down in religion and say I've arrived, you've got a problem, haven't you? Oh, you've got a problem. You know, the word of God says, they that hunger, you know, when you study the Beatitudes, you've got these three here, the character and the attributes of Christ, and the head in that beatific vision of Christ in words is this statement that Jesus makes, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, you said to me, I thought you were righteous. Yeah, but you... When, when you become born again and justified, you get righteousness imputed to you. You didn't deserve it. When you get born again, righteousness is put upon you, the garment of his righteousness, his robe of righteousness. But you need righteousness imparted to you on a, on a daily basis, an understanding of your standing that you have in God because the enemy can mess your mind up. Yeah, your soul area. He can mess it up. And what you've got to grasp is that although you've got a position, as I said, as Jesus says in that parable, you've got to occupy it. Haven't you? You've got to make sure, or Paul says in his uh, epistle, you've got to make your calling and election sure. Haven't you? Every person that's given a position in a, in a company or any profession, you've got to turn up, you've got to occupy it, you've got to do it, you've got to work it. I'm new. You know, I remember when I was uh, in a business and, you know, you, you'd, you'd, you'd go up and you'd, I used to be sent to these businesses. I had this job of going to businesses, we're losing a lot of money, and i go to this business and think, well, what's going on here, you know? And we were trained that when you look at a business, it's got strengths and it's got weaknesses. Look, when you come in to God's house and God puts his robe of righteousness on you, you're not perfect. No, no. You're, as the old saints said, you're in a state of recovery. That's what they called the day of grace, the great preachers in the past. You're being recovered back from the image of Adam into the image of Christ. You understand? It's like you get an old house and you do a thing up and you rent, you know, and you, and you do all these jobs. You're in a state of recovery. You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. I'm pressing, Paul says, towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in God. So I'm pressing on in God, isn't it? And this is what we've got to do. We mustn't... See, and I think one of the greatest dangers, it says here, you know, I'm increased... With goods, I've needed nothing. I, but, and this is what Jesus says. But don't you know you're wretched? You're miserable. You're poor. And you're blind. And you're naked. Do you know that's religion? Religion, trusting in your own works. That's fig tree, I think R.T. Kendall calls it. Fig tree Christianity. You know, can you, can you clothe yourself? No, I need the righteousness of Christ to clothe me. And he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Well, isn't this a bit like this uh, Isaiah 55? That you may be rich and white raiment, that you may be crowed, and the shame of your nakedness, 
and anoint your eyes that you may see. And this is what Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke. Look, if the Lord's rebuking you, he loves you. He says, I rebuke, I chasten, be zealous and repent. And then Jesus makes this famous statement, you know, the famous painting. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and we with me. And I was saying to Paul last night, see the trouble with some people's houses, tabernacle, they got nothing in it. Nothing at all. There's nowhere to sit. They haven't got any food in the fridge. There's nothing in there. So when Jesus knocks on the door, you're hiding behind the window somewhere. You know, I don't want you to come in here seeing what I've got. <laughs> it's, I, I'm too embarrassed to have Jesus in here. Do you know, if you have had relatives knock on your door and you're hiding, that you don't want in the house. <laughs> <laughs> you're not in but you are in <laughs> uh, yeah you see the thing about it is if you don't let the Holy Ghost deal with you you're going to get into spiritual disrepair I can tell you that now and very quickly too surprising how quick you can and then when Jesus comes knocking on your door when my Oh, not Jesus. No, I'm not in. No, no. This is important, isn't it? We, we, we are all in a, we are in a process of change. We're getting ready for glory. We didn't get into it in Revelation, but the marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. And if you want to get in there, you're going to have to have your garment on. You are going to have to be ready, aren't you? You're going to have to have oil in your lamps, isn't it? You haven't got to be one of these stupid virgins, you know, that's forgotten about the things of God and concentrated on these things. As they said about Lot, he got saved by fire. Not Lot, 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 yeah, he got saved by fire, didn't he? But Abraham had an abundant entrance. In fact, Abraham got into glory because of faith. Faith is a tremendous thing because it will, it will cross... You know, as Wigglesworth always used to quote that script, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro the whole earth to show himself strong towards those whose heart is perfect towards him. Well, keep your heart with all diligence, Solomon said. We've got to keep our hearts with all diligence. You know, I get little bees in my bonnet every, you know, every now and then. A bee, a bee comes in my bonnet about something, and it buzzes around, and I think, and I said, I'll be thinking this and thinking that. And, was, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I say something to Irene, and Irene says to me, stop scratching. <laughs> yeah, we, we can, you know, the enemy knows how to, he knows our weakness, see. You know, when I went to those businesses, I remember we went to one business, and it was in the, in the valley somewhere, and it, all their business was in one pot. And it, it, there was no way they could make money like that. And I remember looking at it, and I said to this bloke, I said, how long has this trailer been in here? We said, this trailer been repaired. It's been in here nine months, she said. I said, nine months? I said, you could build a Concorde in nine months. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, it's a mindset. Oh, yeah. 
See, what, what, the, what the Holy Ghost does to you, it takes this word and reveals it to you and feeds it from your mind down into your spirit so that your inner man gets fed. So you're not some weakling walking about. The least puff of wind comes and blows you over. You're strong because you're well fed. Isn't it? The Holy Ghost has got the power because it's the Holy Ghost that wrote this word, really, isn't it? It's anointed. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, these disciples had a transformation. And when we get the... I remember I went to Henry's. They prayed for me in Henry's to receive the Holy Ghost. I had all these people rubbing their head and all this and, and all these people. I never, got, I never got anything in Henry's. I went home, but with David Green, one night I was there and bang, it all happened. And I picked the Bible up as that brother said last night, you know, that came up here and spoke, he said, the whole Bible looked different. The whole thing was completely different. It was like the, everything jumped off the page. Why? Because the Holy Ghost wrote it. You've got the person in you now, and when you get the Holy Ghost, you've got this word, this word that was written on stones in the own covenant is written on your heart. You've got a new heart with the Word of God written on it. And if you can keep activating the presence of God in your life, it will, it will start to move and in your heart and it starts coming out. It starts coming out. It starts feeding you and you get fed. Well, these disciples, now when they're hearing about something, the Holy Ghost, right. And they were told to go and wait For the Holy Ghost to come. Now they knew they knew the feast, the Passover, didn't they? That, 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 I believe that these disciples knew all about Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacle. They knew all about the Torah, the Word of God, the Covenant of God. They understood the, the seed and the right. They had a, a, a certain amount of understanding, but they hadn't got it. They hadn't got the whole thing. But you see, what the Holy Ghost does to you, you get. You get it, precept upon precept. You don't get everything in one go because you can't take it. You've just got to get it. It's, it's, it's line upon line, precept upon precept, and it's coming to you, and you're beginning to develop and grow and, and get more, more understanding, and it's becoming into your life so that you begin to grasp that the Holy Ghost is working in your life and he's teaching you. Now, what, what I was struck with when I was studying this was this, that the disciples, obviously, when they were told that Jesus was going to leave, were getting very alarmed. <laughs> you know, this was serious. You're leaving us, you know. But well, where are you going? And they said he's going to his father. You see, now... But he said that, now they knew that 50 days after Passover was Pentecost. 50 days. So if they had enough understanding, those 120, we've been told by many preachers, there was probably 500 and only 120 remained. But if you know the word, they would have known 50 days later, the Holy Ghost was going to come. 
because they knew the old covenant. They knew what Passover and Pentecost meant. And as they waited, the Holy Ghost came and he descended upon them like tongues of fire, and they spoke, didn't they? With other tongues, as we heard, as we know. And suddenly they were transformed people. But what does it mean in your life? What does it mean when, Je- when Jesus says he, he's your advocate? I thought Jesus was, I thought Jesus was my advocate. Well, he is, because I think it's 1 John, uh, if you look in 1 John 5, is it? He's the propitiation for our sins, isn't he? He's our advocate. Um, if we confess our sins, yes. It, it says in 1 John 2, my little children, these things I write to you, that if you sin, and if any man sin, we have an advocate See that word, advocate? With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. But now Jesus is saying that the Holy Ghost is an advocate. So, in this ministry that God is, in this household of faith that you come into, and I come into as God's house, Jesus is your great high priest, but he's also your advocate, is, as the Apostle John says, if we fail and we come to him, he's, John the Apostle says, is your advocate. Well, what is an advocate? An advocate is a person that represents somebody in a court in your defense. Now, think about this. That means there must be a higher court than the courts in this country or any other country. There is a higher court. And who sits in judge over that court? God Almighty. Isn't it? And you see, our salvation is much more than forgiveness of sin. It's justification. Isn't it? It's declaring you righteous. It's putting you in the place where you could never be without Christ's righteousness. As we read in in 1 Peter 1, that's why I'm I'm so into Peter at the moment. Peter is reminding you it's the mercy of God that I'm born again, that I put put into this position. I don't deserve it. It's his righteousness. And if I fail... Well, the Apostle John says, I've got an advocate that can stand before me in the court. You see, it's much more than the comforter. It's nice to have somebody come along saying, oh, it's pretty bad what you've been through, you know. Well, and uh, we'll support you. But you need somebody to give you justice, don't you? In, in, you know, you went with a court, Alan said to somebody, he's trying to get justice, isn't he, from a court. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to be in a court and get justice if you've got an advocate, isn't it? An attorney, a lawyer, isn't it? Why? Because what, what does that lawyer know? What does that advocate know? He knows the law. You might not know it. The advocate might not like you. But if you're coming to him on the basis of the law, 
and he can administer the law in front of the judge, the judge can't overturn the law, and if he can bring it legally in front of the judge, the judge has got to acquit you, doesn't he? Because it's the law. Well, Paul says the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, your salvation is legal. Oh, yeah. It's signed and sealed by the blood of Jesus. This is not just mere grace. This is justice for the injustice that Adam did to put us all in this hole. And that second Adam has come and got me out of this. Because when I put my faith in his righteousness, when I'm in trouble, he's my advocate. And he says, ah, I stand before the Father. And he says to Jesus, but he's got my righteousness. I can vouch for him that I've covered him with my righteousness and I paid his penalty and I paid his fine. I am his ransom. I paid the price for you, his justice. And thank God I'm justified. See, the Christian should never know condemnation, but he will know conviction. And this is the work of the Holy Ghost. This is what John 16 says. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Look, in it, whom the Lord loveth, he, he chasteneth. Look, when you're chastened for the Lord, thank God for it. You know, I was saying to Peter, I remember when I was in business and I was traveling in the wrong direction from God. And it's easy to do it. It's easy to slip away. And you're in all this world of business and you've got to go here and everywhere and everything spiritual sort of takes, slides away. And I remember sitting in my kitchen in Ross and Y and I never felt real conviction before and the Holy Ghost was starting to convict me. It was frightening. It was really frightening. Do you know the power of the Holy Ghost can stop you falling off the edge somewhere. Oh yeah, he's there to convict you. He's there to reprove you. And he's there to show you the red light. Don't you go there. Something happens inside you. You can't do that because if you do that, there's consequences. You know, and, and I'm coming to see that the Holy Ghost, not only is Jesus your advocate... But the Holy Ghost is your advocate, it says here. So what does, what does Jesus do as your advocate? He speaks to Father God on your behalf. But the advocate of the Holy Ghost speaks to you about who you are in Christ. He's starting to get you to get a revelation of who you are. You see, you know, what was the trouble for Israel when they came out of Egypt? What was their trouble? They had a slavery mentality, didn't it? They could not seem to get this mentality out of their head. And they kept thinking, oh, let's go back and have some leeks and onions and all this nonsense, you know. And that's the flesh, isn't it? The flesh says, give me some leeks and onions, whatever that is, you know. Well, you know, 
the, the, the 40-year 40 40 stint in the wilderness is supposed to be, I don't know, Joyce Meyer said it's supposed to have been 11 days. I don't know whether it was 11, but if, if it was longer, it wasn't 40 years. It was only a short time they were supposed to get through. You see, but your soul area is like your wilderness. It can become a wilderness if you let it be that. But so what, what you've got to do is let the Holy Ghost fill you and instruct you and lead you. And so when you open the word of God, it says, your spirit says, yes, that's it. That's it. That's what I am in Christ. That's what Jesus has done for me. He's purchased my redemption and he's justified me. And if I got a problem, he's my advocate. Wonderful. He stands in the court of heaven in your place. Look, we're only as good as our advocate. We have got no right to stand in the court of heaven on our own. We can't do it. We haven't got any credentials. But with Jesus and his righteousness, oh, it's wonderful. I've got his righteousness. But the Holy Ghost is also your advocate. And you know, I, I never really realized this. The Greek word for this is paraclete. The verb of this is parakalio. I don't want to pronounce that properly. But kalio means to call or direct something. So the Holy Ghost is calling you and it is directing you. This is the way. This is how you go. This is the way. Walk in it. Isn't it? This is the way. Walk in it. And then kalio. And para means to come alongside. This is pointing a person towards a truth or towards a goal, so you're pressing towards something to be in a relationship and stand in someone's shoes. In other words, the Holy Ghost comes to you with two things. This is important. It comes to you with a prophetic challenge. It's challenging you to say, you can do this with me. You can do this with me. But it also comes as priestly support. It supports you. The power of the Holy Spirit supports you in that work. So it comes to you as a prophetic challenge, but also as a priestly support. The person of the Holy Spirit does that. So he comes alongside you. And he helps you in your relationship. Well, we all know what para means. We talk about paramedics, don't we? And we talk about paralegal people in the legal profession. We know what that means. They come alongside us to help us. But you see, the Holy Spirit, in the Greek here, see, and these disciples thought of the Holy Spirit as a power, as an anointing. And a lot of people think like the disciples thought, but Jesus was revealing to them he's a person. He is the Godhead, the third person of the Godhead. And in the Greek, it's a neuter. It's a spirit. He is a person. Jesus is saying that after Jesus leaves and dies, the Father will send the Holy Spirit and that he will come to you and, be, and you'll be able to see Jesus. And this is the important thing. The Holy Spirit gives you ability to see Jesus. And this is a tremendous thing. You know, I, I know we concentrate on many of these sermons upon Jesus, but about the Holy Spirit, you're not going to really get it. 
Yeah, anyone, we have an advocate. So this unlocks or is the key to understanding not only Jesus' work on the cross, the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit's work in our hearts. If you don't understand that Jesus is your first advocate, you will never understand and experience the work of the Holy Spirit as your second advocate. Because if you're not in that relationship and Jesus is your high priest and you're actively worshipping with him, think of the disciples at the Last Supper in the garden, then after the resurrection, as we said, and the dramatic change. See, I didn't really understand until I studied this, that this discourse, this whole 14, 15, 16, was what Jesus spoke at the Last Supper. None of the other Gospels give this. They give you the details of the Last Supper, but John the Apostle is giving you what Jesus said at the Last Supper. So these is... These chapters are very important because they are the last thing that Jesus taught, along with, of course, the wonderful high priestly prayer in John 17. And when you think about it, John the Apostle, I, I, I've always puzzled about this, he, he was able to remember this, he was able to record it, he was able to put it in his gospel, and so we can read it today. That's amazing to me. I don't know whether he knew shorthand. I don't think he had a dictaphone when he was to... No, I don't. I don't. I don't think he had any of that stuff. <laughs> but he had the Holy Ghost recall. Do you know, I found that the Holy Ghost can bring to you exactly what you need, a word from God, and it can be in the Scripture, and he can say to you, Ah, but I said this. Satan says this, but Jesus says this, and the Holy Ghost tells you what, what is in the Word. It brings it to your remembrance, doesn't it? And that's what we need. We need the Holy Ghost. So in the meeting, we're not to, what, to be bothered about, oh, shall we, what, what, what should we do in this meeting? Oh, no. We haven't got to worry about trying to keep the meeting going. We've got to get this tabernacle functioning. Isn't it? So if you can get the tabernacle functioning, we, and the Holy Ghost is working in you, working in me, working on, the meeting will just go. The power of God will come. Why? Because there is a, a feast of tabernacles occurring and where the power and the glory and the rejoicing of God is present. Do you know I believe that? We haven't got to worry about the meeting. We've just got to prepare our hearts, prepare the, in the Word, prepare ourselves to come together. And I tell you what, where the trees of righteousness are, and you are a tree of righteousness, the rain will come. Yeah, the rain will come. But if you've got a lot of dry, dead people sitting, you know, Henry used to say, we get some lively people on the front row, he said. We don't want any dead people on the front row of my meeting, he said. <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's right. 
And he used to get all up, didn't he? Get all the lively people on front row, and they would. And so when somebody was preaching, we'd say, Amen, praise the Lord. And we would be praising the Lord, and that, that the whole power of God would be going backwards and forwards, and then eventually we'd go to the back. Yeah, the anointing, the power of God. I remember being with him in South End, this huge place on the seafront. I was there with Glyn Greeny. We swept the whole place. It was all filthy to sweep this place. And then we got up in there, and then there all these people came off the pier, went in there, and all these odd people looking at us, you know, some drinking. And, and there was Henry praying away. And, and then you're going on, and he started singing about the blood. And he was going on and shouting down the mic, you know, like David does. And, you know, he was having a real go. <laughs> And then he turned to me and Glyn, he said, we've broken through, he said. <laughs> I didn't know what he was on about, but he knew the anointing was working. <laughs> yeah. We've got to know that the anointing is working. <laughs> the power of God and the rain begins to fall. <laughs> Look, if orphan boys in China can have the rain, you can have it. Uneducated little boys... You've got a lot of knowledge that they never had. You can have some drips and then some rain and then some outpouring, can't you? Well, these disciples were in for a shock, weren't they? But the Holy Ghost seemed to remedy the whole thing. It's absolutely, to me, it's amazing. To me, what a change it makes. And what a change it will make in our lives if we can remember to do it. It unlocks the key to our understanding of not only what Jesus did on the cross, but the Spirit's work in our hearts. So it's absolutely imperative to understand what we have in Christ. You know, I was reading, as we were reading there, uh, what, Paul sa- what Peter said, and he says, Peter says this, as newborn babes, you must crave the pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of your salvation to grow and be fruitful. Yeah. Your your food for the inner man is this. The Holy Ghost is there to reveal these things to you. I was reading this in Corinthians today. Um, uh, it says in 2 Corinthians 9 but this I say in 2 Corinthians 9 6 sparingly shall reap sparingly and he that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully God loveth a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you and having all sufficiency in all things that you abound in every good work as it written, he's dispersed abroad, he's given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. Now he that ministereth, what? Seed to the sower. Both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Think about this statement now. He ministers seed to the sower to minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. There's a big, there's something there to get hold of, I can tell you. 
That, that, that is really something. I mean, we read, we read in Isaiah 55 now, let's go back to Isaiah, and we come back to this now in a minute. You, you, you um, begin to see something here. He says, um, I didn't read on here, in Isaiah um, 55, he goes down in 8 and he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. And that's right. We need the Holy Ghost to put us right. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. And then he says this, For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth fruit, that it what? that it what? It might give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return void. It shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing that I've sent it. You shall go forth with joy and be led forth with peace. You shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Now then, you see, this is the point, isn't it? We've got a grasp that as, as that land of Canaan depended upon the rain, the former and the latter rain, and when they disobeyed God, like in the time of Ahab, remember when Elijah was around, and, and because of the ungodliness of Ahab and Jezebel, the prophet declared a famine. Remember he said, it's not going to rain for three years, and there was a complete famine and people were dying and all this was happening. Well, look, when he saw, as we heard last night, where somebody said that, that, that was it, David, about the cloud, the hand of the Lord in the air, and the rain started to come. Well, it, God, God had mercy on them, didn't he, through the prophet. Well, we want to pray that God will send the rain upon our land. Because your land, your heart, your heart can be likened, Paul says in Corinthians, like to a garden or a farm. And your land is you. And the enemy wants to possess your land. But you mustn't let him. You've got to occupy it and make sure he doesn't put a foot on it. It wasn't God's will for them to lose Canaan, was it? But we can miss our heavenly calling if we don't let the Holy Ghost lead us and guide us. Look, I've been led down some cul-de-sacs I know some of you have. Each one of us can testify to the way God's had mercy on us to bring us back. So the first advocate, Jesus, is speaking to God for you, but the second advocate is speaking to you for you. He's speaking about to you, to you to grasp this tremendous provision that God has got for us. So I'm saying to you, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is to take all the things that Jesus has done on our behalf and to teach us, to remind us, and enable us to finally understand understand everything that Jesus taught in the Gospels and his saving power. But the Holy Ghost will not do this because he, because he is also... The Holy Spirit not only does this, but he is also our advocate and he is the spirit of truth. So I don't know whether I got this point across, but anyway, I've done my best. <laughs> but there, I know this disturbs people. We've got people, you see, in the church, um, 
you know, is sort of Lego Christianity, I call it, you know. They come with their toys to church, you know, and play Lego. No, no, you know, we've got to grow up. We've got to understand that God has called you, as we're saying, to be in a position, sit with Christ, have this communion with Christ, have this new life in the Spirit, so that every day we can, we can be, be that person who God can rely on to share the good news, isn't it? The anointing is given to share the good news. And, and the Lord will help us in this. He will help us. So, the command to feast, to feasting and rejoicing and happiness, is not based upon our feelings and emotions, because why? The past must be forgotten so that the present joy may be given. And this is it. Look at Israel. Look at God's people. Look at the book of Hebrews, the warning to us. Don't let the, this world get at you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And let the Holy Ghost, if you do fail, become your advocate. And he will. He'll stand up for you. He is. I never grasped this before. So you've not only got one advocate, you've got two. <laughs> you're, you're, you're in a pretty secure position. You know, when you've got an advocate, you're only as good as your advocate. Well, we got the best. We? we got the best. You know, Iron's brother, eldest brother, was a very good advocate. He was wanted all over Wales because he never lost a case. Why? Because he knew the law. And when you get to know this law, this word, this spiritual law, it works. Yeah, it works. If you can believe it and confess it and believe it and confess it and keep believing it and confessing it, as I said to that sister who wasn't well yesterday, keep saying it. He forgiveth all my iniquities and he heals all my diseases. It's paid for in full. You can have it. The enemy will come against you, but you've got somebody standing in your place. Yes, you might have failed, and I might have failed, but thank God we've got two advocates who can stand in our place and plead our case on the basis of the legality of this word because it's spiritual law, isn't it? Jesus fulfilled all righteousness and every legal requirement that the law demanded. So your salvation is legal. Yeah. It's paid for in full. You don't even have to pay this, you know, advocate. He's already paid for everything. It's wonderful. So I say to you tonight, Understand, there is therefore now condemnation to them in Christ Jesus, but there is conviction for the sinner. For the saint, I mean. God does convict us, like he's convicted me on different occasions, so that you, he's, he's putting you right. He's putting you right. So we must be willing to understand that there is a higher court of justice. I know some people get very disturbed about this, but you see, these people argue, in, even in the church, you know, about this. Um, you know, they, they think, oh, no, I, I don't believe in that. I believe, just believe in forgiveness of sins, you see. I, 
I don't believe in this legal business and the law. The spirit. I, I thought the law would be done away with. Well, it hasn't been done away with. It's been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled. Jesus could have never paid for your redemption without the filling, fulfilling the legal requirements that were demanded of him. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus. He never slipped up once. He never said a wrong word. He never said a wrong deed. He was a perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Think about it. The price and the dedication that he had to do to fulfill all these legal requirements. What frustrates me a bit about many of the preachers today, they keep comparing the gospel to law and grace. It's not law and grace. It's works and grace. The law came 400 years after grace was set up on the throne in Genesis 3.15. The law was only there to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Well, Jesus knew what was right because he he, he, he wrote the law. And he fulfilled it. No, it's not law and grace. It's works and grace. And we know religious people. I was in a meeting the other day, a Bible study, and I could see this person... And there were works written all over them. I thought, this is a works person. And when they opened their mouth, you could tell it was all works. Yeah. They hadn't got a revelation of Christ's righteousness. What a revelation that is, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... You, I've done things I don't like. You know, I'm, I was praying the other night. I was praying for three hours. I said, Lord, I've missed it. And I said, Lord, do you know sometimes you, you just got to humble yourself, bow down, and come in on the mercy of God? Do you know you have to bow before that throne? Why? Because there's a mercy seat, but it's a place, as John says, of propitiation. But thank God, he's your advocate. <laughs> That's wonderful. So you've got, you got a place where you can be restored. David said, he restoreth my soul. Oh, that's wonderful. The mercy of God. So I don't know where you are today, but the mercy of God, if you will humble yourself. You know, David Pawson always says this. He said, there are many people in the church they will not humble themselves and they miss what God has got for them. You know, when God began to commit me a sin, God can put you, I felt like I was in a straitjacket. He can put, he can, yeah, I mean, the Holy Ghost can really put it on you. Oh, yeah. He's the hound of heaven. He chases you down. You will. You will. Yeah. If he's on your case, look out. You're gonna. You're gonna bend. You're gonna bend. Oh yeah. <laughs> you are. And thank God he's there. I say thank God for the mercy of God. I would not be here. I would not be alive. <laughs> It's the mercy of God, and it's the mercy of God we hear. As we read yesterday morning in 1 Peter, what did we read? 
Isn't that a wonder? I, I, I just say to you, keep reading 1 Peter and 2 Peter. What does he say? Isn't this a wonderful epistle? Oh, God the Father knew you, chose you, and his spirit has made you holy. And he will not be satisfied until you are holy. <laughs> you are sanctified. That's part of the gospel. Justification, sanctification, glorification, isn't it? As a result, you obeyed him and been cleansed. All praise to God the Father, for by his great mercy we have been born again. I had somebody praying for me, my grandmother, my mother. I wouldn't be in the kingdom. I was a rebel. But somebody prayed. And the Holy Ghost ran me down. Hallelujah. <laughs> They're wonderful. Are we a beloved? We are chosen. Isn't it wonderful? He says, His great mercy that we've been born again because Jesus raised him from the dead. And now we live with great expectation because we have a priceless inheritance. We thank you, Lord, this morning for this tremendous salvation. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the price that was paid. And you have not left us comfortless. You have sent the person of the Holy Spirit and he's here now to help us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to guide us. And when we need an advocate, we got it. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're in a process of being restored. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord, this morning for this tremendous salvation that is sure, is priceless, is kept in heaven for us, is kept in heaven beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, glory. We praise God. Isn't it wonderful? Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray you anoint us and fill us in the days ahead that we will be a true tabernacle of God, that we will rely upon you, Holy Spirit, and that you will fill our lives to overflowing. Jesus' name.